0: How sweep it is. Pete Alonzo's walk-off homer saved the Mets and led them to a sweep over the Nationals. Phew! We will get into the huge sweep.
1: Trevor Williams' Mets debut, Alonzo backing up his talk, and the big series ahead against the
0: Dodgers. Our special guest this week is a guy who tweeted about Bunts, which I loved, and he's a 1969 Mets World Series champion. Art Shamsky joins us.
1: So get your brooms out for the first time since June, and join us on a brand new edition of Amazing But True from the New York Post.
0: Queens, New York. Mets take the field.
1: So amazing. Amazing but true. Orange and blue. So amazing. Here's the pitch. New York folks. It's out
0: of here. We got you. Ooh. Welcome back to Amazing But True, our New York Mets podcast from the New York Post. Jake Brown here alongside my co-host, former Met Nelson Figueroa. You can follow us on Twitter at Jake Brown Radio and at Figgy NY. Email us, Amazing But True Pod at gmail.com. You can also call into our Amazing But True voicemail line. We'll do that next week because we had a busy show today, 845 391. 3660 although we did get a voicemail from a former mets trainer figgy and he really wants to talk to us uh, i believe his name was paul wiener that is his actual name so shout out to paul wiener art shamsky
1: you just wanted real... to say that you're unbelievable
0: <laughs> i just wanted to say paul wiener four times there's a, that might have been the fifth time we had a paul wiener tally um oh, art shamsky gosh. 1969 mets world series champion Is going to join us later in the show. It's funny you say, "Oh God, Figgy," as uh, someone recognized me walking into the game the other day. I guess the shirt may have helped. He said, "Oh, you're Jake Brown." I was like, "Yeah, nice to meet you." And I was like, "Oh, so what do you think of the show? Do you like love it, hate it? Do you hate me, love Figgy?" He's like, "Honestly, I think you try too hard to be funny sometimes." (laughs) And I was like, "Wow, uh, that's that's a you want it, you
1: want it, yeah, you want an honest." I appreciate it absolutely yeah, thank, yeah. You very and, mu- uh, thank you very much for that
0: yeah and i was like oh well and then he said sometimes you could tell figgy's like oh my god or I can't handle it or something i'm like yeah he's only there because we pay him that's pretty much it uh so so it was it was pretty funny to hear that but you know i appreciate the honest criticism i forgot his name but he did tweet me after and he said i think your guest list is second and on you guys have great guests Keep it up with the podcast. So shout out to you, Bill or Mike, that I walked in the stadium with. But it's very funny. American fun.
1: hero,
0: the, the tr- <laughs> American. I was like, wow, he, he could have lied and said, oh, it's great when he doesn't listen. So clearly he listens. And uh, I do I'll, I'll try less hard to be funny, but. I'll try hard to keep it real right now, and I'll say this. That was a monstrous sweep by the New York Mets, Figgy. I mean, talk about Pete Alonzo backing up. Walk it like I talk it is the line I always say from the great philosophers, Migos, Quavo, show himself, and Offset and Takeoff. Look them up if you don't know who they are. Uh, they got some hits, but they said walk it like I talk it. Thank you to everyone from Sunday. Thanks to Catch a Story. We had a great time at our live show Sunday, and we talked about what Pete Alonso said and said, you said, what do you want him to cry? You'd rather cheer and not cry. And he went 6-12, or hit 500, hit the walk-off homer Thursday that saved the Mets after blowing a 4-1 lead in the second game of the doubleheader. They sweep, they're a half game out of first, and that's how you back it up. You make up for the transgressions of Jeff McNeil not knocking that ball down, of James McCann not catching anything, of the bullpen blowing it. And you hit a walk-off and send the Mets to a big series against the Dodgers with a monumental sweep and making up for what was a rough weekend in Philly.
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, there's just been so many opportunities to do some damage. Uh, Guys getting on base, a ton of singles, but not being able to capitalize, right? Not being able to get the big hit. We saw them get a metric ton of hits in the doubleheader today. And I don't know what's a real cause of it. It just seemed like the approach was so much better than what we've seen pulling off of baseballs because you get in a small ballpark like Philadelphia, and you're trying to just... Pull every ball and see how far you can hit it rather than just kind of simplifying things, knowing that most pitchers are not going to give you something middle in for, you know, whatever side you are, lefty or righty. You don't want to be a pitcher and giving them something that they can pull. Pull power is the impressive power. That's the ball that ends up in the third deck. You usually want to throw breaking balls, change ups away, so that leads to guys trying to you know flail at the ball, weakly hitting it to opposite field. Makes it easier to defend when you can pitch that into the shift. The Mets seem to have done that nonstop in Philadelphia, and big adjustments in a game like today, you know, where you were facing some pitchers that you really didn't haven't faced a lot before, and some that you have. You know, Fetty pitched in the first game. You know, he's had some success against the Mets, and he's not a guy who has a lot of success in the big leagues, but he seemed to have the Mets number. Uh, For quite some time and today you just saw a very nice approach by most hitters flattening out the bat a little bit more hitting line drives the other way and the Mets put up over 20 hits in the 14 innings that they played today which was very impressive to see. And it was a, a total team effort up and down the lineup, finding ways to score runs, capitalizing on, you know, some mistakes. And at the same time, man, you have to make that play if you're McNeil, because that game could have been over a lot sooner. But just we,
0: knock it down, like just it put down. your body on the ground and it, knock it and keep it in the in, or the, it. the outfield, keep it in the outfield. Cause he was a hundred feet away, but you got to knock that down.
1: You so. got to knock that ball down. You got to keep it in front of you. That's what you are taught since you were a little kid. He thought that he could kind of side shuffle and get to to it and make maybe a, a fantastic play, but all you need is make the routine plays routine, and that's what any pitcher would want, right? You can see Familia, you know, getting a little peeved about it because again, a run score is on a pass ball on a slider that McKenna's get all the way down for. And we'll get into a little bit of some the new catching style that I'm really starting to hate with this one leg out where you can't block breaking balls late in ball games. And we saw the Yankees lose a game not too long ago against the Red Sox where it was like four or five pass balls or wild pitches, whichever way you want to look at it, the job has to get done. That ball has to stay in front of you, but it's the new catching style to get these low pitches and steal strikes. There's a give and take involved, right? So going back to McNeil, knock that ball down, keep it in the infield. That guy from second doesn't wind up scoring. And if he tries to score, you can throw him out at home plate rather than the ball getting another you know, 50 to 100 feet to Conforto and him having to make a throw on the run. That didn't work out, obviously. But if we didn't have that, then we wouldn't have had the dramatics of Pete backing up his words and being the man who put that ball up in the air. And it was high and it was deep. And next thing you know, you see the outfielder going back. Such a dramatic blast. And he comes down on the other side of the fence and the fans go wild. They're able to rip his jersey off. He didn't want much part of the uh, home run horsey. So I'm hoping that they're over that little thing. But at the same time, he's taken a lot of flack for being ultra positive. There is a lot to be positive about with the Mets having a sweep. Yes, I get it. It's the lowly... National's, but you have to beat the teams that you're supposed to beat, and they did that this series.
0: Pete Alonzo is one man I will gladly shout, take it off to. You know, I, I won't shout <laughs> it often. I won't say it to you, Figgy, but when Pete Alonso homers, rip that jersey off and show me that. It looked like he might have had a little sunburn, but that power bot. And you mentioned the left fielder circling around. I mean, this bum, Andrew Stevenson, who gets the big hit that McNeil can get. I mean, these bums. That, that's. I mean, think, I think Brian was watching me because we were all set up, ready to record. We're like, oh, it's 4-1. It's going to be easy. Mets win. They tie it. And I'm shouting at my TV "Sweet These bums. And then it's this bum, Andrew Stevenson. I shouldn't call them bums. It's not very nice. But uh, (laughs) I've said worse. Uh, This is true. Beat these guys. And I thought he was going to rob that homer. It gets over. They rip it off. And the Mets sweep going into this weekend against the Dodgers. And, boy, was that major. Because this team, we were talking. I was officially in Panic City when we recorded from Catch Astoria. And, you know, it only takes a few wins to get – fans back into it figgy and now you're looking at going to a that 13 days in hell is coming up we're here it's arrived if you're listening to this on friday it's here and luckily the phillies lost two out of three and the braves did not sweep they lose thursday to the reds which means the mets now i mean Figgy, this is like a this is truly a roll so, sunday here we are in a catcher story first live show having having a good time despite the mets disgraceful sweep The Mets are in third place. Now we enter this series with the Dodgers. The Mets have leapfrogged the Braves. The Mets are half back. The Braves are one back. And here we go. We go into this weekend against the Dodgers. It's go time. We got the sweep. Brandon Drury with another big clutch hit. Would have been a doubleheader Wednesday. And then the rain comes out of nowhere and washes away game two. You get to the ballpark. You were the Simpsons gif essentially. You walked into the bar and then you walked out. That was you at City Field. Uh, on Wednesday, I was there for the first game as a scorcher. They sweep, and they get the job done. Now it's the thirteen days of hell. Three against the Dodgers. You got the Giants, the Dodgers, and then the Giants coming to City Field and it starts this weekend. And boy, I'm looking at the pitching matchups, Figgy. Urias thirteen and three against McGill. Saturday, Walker Bueller twelve and two against Taiwan Walker. So you got Walker Bueller versus Taiwan Walker, the battle of the Walkers. And then Sunday night baseball, you get some guy named Max Scherzer. And he's a a little nine and four against Carlos Carrasco. This is not going to be easy uh, going up against the three of their best in a series that, I mean, you're hoping to take two. But with that kind of matchup, you'll be lucky to get one this weekend.
1: Yeah, it's going to be a big test for them. And uh, that's the beauty of baseball, that that any team can beat any team, right? You just have to find ways to win. You have to find ways to execute better than the other team. I hope that their starting pitchers make some mistakes. Max Scherzer has given up a ton of home runs to Mets and current Mets who are on the team. So, he does make mistakes. We've seen that before. So, anybody can have a bad game, but you're not going to get a lot of mistakes normally with those guys. You hear you see what their records are and, you know, but what's their FIP? What's their all I don't care about all that. All I know is, all I know is that those guys are a talented group of pitchers and they feed off each other. And when you get an addition to your staff, like a Max Scherzer, if you're anybody like Walker Buehler or anybody else, you're trying to learn from Max Scherzer or even how to grip a different pitch, you may see something different for the first time out of Walker Buehler uh, this time around. You may see someone you know, developing a, a pitch because that's what you want to do as a veteran guy. You get there, yeah, you, you want to handle your own business, but you're also imparting a lot of that knowledge to some of the younger pitchers. Uh, you know, Walker Buehler is going to be the future of, of starting pitchers in the National League for a long, long time. So you can see these guys starting to kind of, you know, take it to another level. And you hope that the Mets aren't victims of that because one thing Max Scherzer can do is he knows how to game plan, he knows how to prepare, and he knows the Mets better than anybody else. So he's going to have the game plan set up for the pitchers' meetings. I do have to give a shout-out to the Mets' starting pitchers from today. Uh, Stroman was great, back-to-back games where he really had – performances. And then, you know, Trevor Williams, who was a throw-in in in the trade, uh, went down to AAA, continued to work on his craft. And, you know, he hasn't been the all-star self that he once was. I mean, he only topped out right around 90 today, but all he gave up was three hits and one run, two strikeouts, two walks, but he was very serviceable in a time of need. And he had a
0: Maddox-like pitch count, and before he got pulled, yeah. he looked like he was going to go easy through seven.
1: Yeah, and, that, and that's one of the things is that you have a confidence now because you weren't sure about what he could possibly do. He went through that lineup, and he was very efficient with his pitches. Again, when you're someone who's pitching a little bit differently than the other pitchers that are averaging 95, 96 miles an hour with a 90-mile-an-hour slider, everybody in baseball seems to have adapted to handle that So, if you're throwing below the hitting zone, below the hitting speed, only a 90-mile-an-hour fastball, you have a little bit more movement on your breaking pitches, a little slower on some of those breaking pitches as well, and it's a, a different uh, look. You can get away with it a few times through the lineup, and uh, he was able to do that today. So, it was was impressive enough i know he probably was feeling a lot of pressure traded for and then all of a sudden getting sent down to the minor leagues and now having to come up it, it is a big situation every game is a big situation right now for a starting pitcher in a mets uniform so you're hoping that those other guys are going to coming along quickly but uh trevor williams looks like he's going to be able to help this team out at least in the starting rotation for the foreseeable future
0: well he's going to stay too i mean you're saying that but i don't know what spot he's taking now if mcgill has uh, a bad start i mean on friday does he replace McGill? Do you go six men? Because DeGround will know in the coming days, getting another MRI. We'll see if he'll even come back. Uh it's nice to see Trevor Williams here. Listen, it fills the quota of a starter with long hair. His hair was flowing. A Figgy special, a Syndergaard special. So the Mets were missing their quota of starting pitcher with long hair. So they got that. He was good. You got to keep him. Now I don't know if they'll go six men. That might be a role for him. He could he
1: could listen, he can go into man? a long really he could be a long man. He could be a long man. So does he
0: replace Yenzi Diaz? That seems like the most logical roster move. Yeah,
1: you're looking at right now what is better for the team. So he's going to need a couple of days rest. The way that the Mets pitchers have been falling or getting hurt, you would see him kind of, even if he had to go down, he has options. That's one of the reasons why the Mets selected him. Uh, of all the pitchers that probably were available to them that he had options and he could be sent down. So being that he can be sent back down if somebody was to get hurt or if somebody needed downtime that went on the IL, if Taiwan and Walker doesn't perform, you know, adequately and you're like, okay, well maybe we can give him a rest this time through and bring up, you know, Trevor Williams to, to take his turn in the rotation. These are all things that are a possibility, but it's nice to have somebody who actually you can look up, uh, that has had some success at the big league level and not be like, uh, you know, where we get this guy from? <laughs> How long has this guy been in baseball? It's a quiet confidence, I think, for a guy like Luis Rojas. And, again, they weren't going to push him too far. Even though he was performing very efficiently, you weren't going to test it and be like, all right, let's see what he does, you know, third, fourth time through the lineup. They got him out there when they did, and game got out of control. Not, you know, his fault or anything, but it was good to see the Mets continue to fight back. And this is what this team has done for most of the year, especially while they were, you know, in first place for 90 days, but to get back into that top spot, you're going to have to continue to play baseball and play. Uh, like I said, there's an urgency that needs to be had in every aspect of the game, defensively, offensively, pitching-wise. There has to be more of an urgency, and I think we saw some of that, um, especially in game two when that lead sl- slid away. There was a quiet calm on betting in that dugout that, hey, we're going to have a chance. To win this ball game, and sure enough, Pete Alonso was able to come through.
0: And listen, you're hoping that Mike Cukorito. It seems like he's getting it together a little bit. I mean, it's a short sample size, but he's at least getting on base. He's getting hits here and there. I mean, you don't even look at the average right now. That's a moot point because he's he's going to finish below 230, even if he does go on a hot streak, unless he gets scorching hot. But Figgy's getting on base. I like seeing him in the seventh spot. It seemed like that might have pumped him up a little bit, get him going a little bit. In Game One, he was sitting seventh, so maybe that's his spot. You move him down. VR had the big. If VR doesn't hit that homer. I mean, the Mets lose Game Two, so that was big. But you got to think about putting Conforto seven, and, and if he does get it going, that's a big bat for these Mets in the final forty-eight games. Without a doubt,
1: I mean that's something that we talked about and discussed to dropping him down to what most people would consider a non-pressure spot in the lineup. It's not it's a non-pressure spot because he's going to then come up with guys who are swinging the bat well in the middle of that lineup and trying to drive them in. And it it lacks the speed of maybe a base hit being able to score on. Uh, But I I think I like for, again, your game planning for this lineup and you're starting out with, okay, Brandon Nimmo takes a lot of pitches. You know, we'll work a walk. You got to have to throw six, seven, eight pitches to this guy. Second batter is McNeil. You know, he's ultra aggressive, so be careful with that first pitch. He will chase all over the zone. This is how I'm going after him. But that's, again, six, seven, eight pitches maybe in that at-bat. Pete Alonzo, can't make a mistake early in the count. Can't miss your location like we saw today, miss location. They tried to go up in the zone. It was about belt high, and it left the ballpark. So as you're game planning, by the time you get down to seven hole and you're like, oh my God, I still haven't found Michael Conforto's name in the lineup. You may overlook it. You may be like, ah, all right, seven, eight, nine. It's just, I can handle that. If you get past those first six and then Michael Conforto is, starts to swing a, a much, much more consistent bat. I don't want a hot bat. We know what happens when he has a hot bat. He's a very, he's been a very streaky hitter a lot of his career. I want a consistent bat because his consistent bat where he hits line drives the other way, one of the best in baseball with one of the sweetest swings when he's able to do that. So we saw him with some really good takes today. Wasn't swinging out of control, looked a lot more patient at the plate in his approach, and I think it paid off.
0: How about this stat right here, Fahey? 25% of the Mets wins at Citi Field this season have been walk-offs. Nine of their 36. 25% of their time, they have a flair for the dramatics let's keep it going this weekend rock city field this is the playoff. 48 games (laughs) one baseball team pack that place and rock city field because the dodgers are good and they need the fans you see what the fans do to this team they get pumped up so rock the place Uh, and
1: not only that but you got to also really give some credit to a guy like jonathan br where would the Mets be without VR's play this whole time? I mean, he's been steady as can be. He's been everywhere in that lineup. He's been everywhere on that field. He's been everywhere on the base paths, sometimes forward, sometimes backwards. You never know with him but he has been a, a godsend for this team the same way that we talked about taiwan walker in the first half of the season vr just continues to impress i mean he continues to to make you say wow no other team wanted to take a chance on this guy they did not have to pay big bucks to sign jonathan vr to keep jonathan vr because you want to have that kind of quality depth it may take a lot more money uh, the second time around but man he has been outstanding in a met uniform
0: vr active on the field active on Instagram as well, the, the guy earlier who uh, who tweeted me that I ran into is Mark Beck. By the way, I think I said John or something. Mark Beck. So shout out to Mark Beck, but shout out to Jonathan VR doing his thing, sliding in successfully into the base bass Love what he's doing oh, out there. Boy. Shout out to Jonathan VR oh man the Mets and Dodgers Urias versus McGill Bueller versus Walker Scherzer versus Carrasco big weekend all 7 p.m. games do you like the 7 p.m. Sunday games or are you a 1 p.m.
1: guy I'm a traditionalist I like the early game I like the day games but I get it
0: it's although true. this weather it's nice to be at night it's hot during the
1: day yeah, it's it's for the ratings I think um, the reason they used to do day games early in the season because you wanted it to be as warm as possible and now These dog days of summer, man. You weren't even trying to venture out to City Field. I could imagine the lobster.
0: That would have oh been Jake Brown. God. The EMS would have been out. I was sitting, <laughs> carting me away. Mr. Brown, we're coming to take you away. Jake, we're coming to take you away because heat, heat exhaustion. I was getting, like, dizzy yesterday at the game. My God, I was hot. Listen to this. I had a sweat towel. Then I had a wet sweat towel. I had one that I had cold water. And then they gave one on the way in. It's almost like they knew what was coming. They're like, yeah. this fat, ball guy needs a towel. They Well, they handed a bunch of people these green towels. I don't know what the sponsor was. So I was at Wednesday's game with three towels i might have needed six towels for thursday's double header that is a heat stroke waiting to happen mm-hmm. i would have been on the il with all the rest of the the mets that are on there me and jacob de on the il together the closest i'll get to that jake nice um but yeah it was uh it was a hot one daryl strawberry will be on amazing but true next week so stay tuned for that and i know i said third today was supposed to be ty burrell if you listen to the live show from catch make sure to go in the archives check that one out Ty Burrell should be on next week as well. So we're hoping for next week. I mean, talk about a dynamic doing. Mark Beck, he's tweeted us, should have added your guest list as top-notch. You've done great with getting Mets royalty. Well, we might have a royalty player in straw and a royalty celebrity fan in Ty Burrell next week on Amazing But True. But coming up next, speaking of Mets royalty, it's 1969 World Series champion Art Shamsky coming up on Amazing But True. Joining us now on Amazing But True for a second time, he was on the show as we honored the late, great Tom Seaver as 1969 World Series champion Met Art Shamsky. You can get his books, After the Miracle, The Magnificent Seasons. You can get the Art Shamsky podcast where his next guest will be a guy that everybody loves, at least according to the TV show. Everybody loves Raymond. That would be Ray Romano will be on the show he had 538 batting cleanup in the World Series, and he played four seasons for the Mets from 1968 through 1971. Art, welcome back to Amazing But True.
2: How are you, man? Good, guys. Uh, nice to be on with you.
0: We're glad to have you on because it's perfect timing with one Ray Romano coming on and two Figgy replying to your tweet to me and he he said right up your alley when you talked about small ball you don't know how many times art i've mentioned a figgy that the mets need to start bunting the ball moving runners over bunting for singles and my god they do it and it works incredibly on wednesday and thursday just keep on bunting art small ball works bunting works the mets haven't done enough of it and they do it, and it leads to a sweep over the Nationals. So, thank you for tweeting
2: that, Art. Well, you know, it's it's interesting. I, the game today is not the same game that I grew up with and played. It is what it is. But I know everybody likes home runs, but I, I just think that if you're you're struggling like the Mets were struggling, you got to find ways to win ball games. And I and I learned it at a young age. You just you just can't swing for the fences every time and, and hope that something's going to going to work. You're going to work out. You're going to just you're going to be so frustrated. And you know, I think what you do is in like in batting practice you work on things to hit the ball the opposite field you work on small things that are going to help you help you move a runner along you know get do something to help you get out of this funk and I'm glad to see the Mets finally did it but you know I just think it's pretty obvious that you're not going to if you keep swinging for the fences in batting practice you know you're not going to be able to get out of a, a slump and so you work on things to just keep your shoulder closed and keep working on time to hit the ball the opposite field. And I think, I think in this case, small ball works. I think it's still the game that I love. And I think that's the way you win ball games consistently, but the game has changed. And as Nelson knows, it's just the, the way it is right now. And, and the home runs and RBIs are the premium. But I think in, if you're struggling, you got to find ways to win ball games. That's I learned this a long time ago when I played for the great Gil Hodges. Uh, The first year I was there, we finished ninth. at the half game out of last place, and this was the year before we won the World Series, and and we lost a lot of close ball games by one run, and and next year in spring training, the year we won the World Series, he said, you know, we lost 38, 40 games, whatever it was, by one run, and you got to find ways to win these games, whether it's Two to one, three to two, eight to seven, seven to six, find a way to win games. And I think that's the way you do it with small ball, especially if you're struggling. And, uh, you know, hopefully the Mets learn something from this. I just think for me, that's why I like the Nationals a little better than American League. So you do see somewhat of some small ball once in a while, but, but the reality of it is, is the game is not the same as uh, when I played.
1: Yeah, no doubt. And I think one of the things that most people go to batting practice and they want to see guys hitting home runs, right? And you're getting a pitch that you're not going to see in the ballgame. You're not going to see a 70-mile-an-hour fastball right down the middle. So it's really – it doesn't serve you a purpose unless you're trying to work on different things. So working on hitting the ball the other way, pretending that there's a runner at second or third base with less than two outs, how to drive in a run because it's not that easy. You could see guys in batting practice all the time where they want to treat it as home run derby. And that usually leads to big swings in the game and not being able to hit breaking pitches or slower pitches. So for me, I think that's a great point that you make, Art, that you are supposed to be honing your craft during batting practice, not putting on display like it's a home run derby.
2: Well, you know, they, everybody wants to hear the oohs and ahs of the fans. And then what happens is you end up doing that in batting practice. And it's the, home runner strikeout and during the case. I, I learned a valuable lessons when I came up as a young kid with the Cincinnati Reds and of course they had the, the prelude of the big red machine, but when I first got there, they had the great Frank Robinson was in right field and Veda Pinson and Pete Rose. But I used to watch Frank Robinson and and, and and this was one of the premier players in baseball, certainly in the National League, right alongside the Mays, Aaron and Clemente. And Frank would never hit a ball, and he's a right handed batter, but in batting practice would never hit a ball to the left side of the infield or never try to. He always hit everything to the right side of the infield and and he wanted to keep that front shoulder closed that left shoulder because he was right-handed and he ended up hitting over 500 or maybe 600 i don't know exactly but but i watched him and i learned a valuable lesson because it doesn't make any difference what you do in batting practice you have to work on things that can improve you in the game and and i i just think that that for me that was a lesson that i tried to carry on but but uh, you're right guys it's the guy today players they want to they want to hit the ball in batting practice. It's home run derby, like you said. And I just don't think that helps your team win games. I think you got to find ways to do things. And I always go back to the small ball thing to help your team win games. And I always say there's no I in the letter, in the word, there's no letter I in the word team. And I think you've got to find a way just to help your team win ball games. And I think that's the beauty of the game of baseball.
0: Follow Art on Twitter, at Art Shamsky. you mentioned home run derby. Well, on August 12th, you had a home run derby back in 1966. You tweeted that you came in the game in the eighth inning, hit three homers in a row, two in extra innings, and you lost the game. Can you take us back? To that memory, how the hell did that happen, Art? Uh,
2: that was a, that was an interesting time in my life. Actually, today, 1966, I wasn't uh, in the starting lineup, and I came in in the eighth inning. A lot of people think it was a defensive move, but it was really a pitcher hitter switch. Where I came in, uh, the right fielder at the time made the last out, and I, uh, our manager Dave Bristol, changed pitchers, put me in the outfit, and I hit the pitcher spot. And I proceeded to hit three home runs in a row, and two of them were next inning. It's hard to believe, but they each tied up a game. Uh, we were at the home at Crosley Field at Cincinnati, and we ended up losing that game uh, against Pittsburgh. There was uh, a lot of runs scored in that game, but next day we're rained out. And, and and just to go back to that for a second, I don't think there's anybody else ever have hit three home runs in a game that wasn't in the starting lineup. At least I was told that. But the next day we're rained out, and the next day, after I've hit the three home runs, I'm not in the starting lineup against the Pirates that day. Now I, I'm now I'm you know I'm going crazy. I get three home runs and I'm not in the starting lineup. But I wasn't one of these guys that wanted to confront the manager at that time. So I just kind of just tried to understand. But meanwhile, he sent me up to pinch hit in the. Uh, I don't know, fifth or sixth inning, we are losing by a couple of runs. I hit a, a two or three run home run off Vernon Wall. It was a pretty good pitcher at the time. Put us ahead in the game, and we ended up losing that game. And So I, we hit four home runs in a row, and we lost both those games. So, you know, it's funny how things work in your life, but uh, it was a great day for a great couple days for me and uh, the, my bats in the Hall of Fame for having that feed. It's up in a special area for special feats, And so for me, it's always a, it's nice to talk about this time of year, but uh, it, it was a special time and very memorable for me thank you for bringing it up
1: oh no without a doubt all right we've done a lot of different appearances and we we've crossed paths many a time and usually it's talking about someone else i love to have an opportunity for you to get a chance to speak about yourself and talk about, you know, who were you as a player? What what were some of the things that you wanted to bring out? And not only you, but you always talk about your ball club as well. You always talk about your teammates. How important is that to you as a player? Well,
2: I was very lucky. Um, I had great teammates with the Mets, and when when we won the World Series, it, it made that special in 1969. And I know both you guys weren't around at the time, but the reality of it was, it was such a bad time in the world. Like, we're in the world is upside down now. Of course but back in the late 60s with the war in vietnam uh, it was tearing the country apart and the city of new york was going under financially socially spiritually every way you could you could think of the, the city was going under like many cities in in the country and, and i think what we did that year is we kind of made people feel better about their lives for a brief period of time and of course that was a period where the jets won the super bowl we won the world series and the knicks won the nba championship in may of 70 so it was a great year for sports in new york it was a Lousy year for everything else that was going on in the city and the world but but you know I, I was very lucky to have great teammates and the fact that uh, some of the guys like eddie cranepool and tug mcgraw and ron sabota had been there uh, years before me and and seen that and been part of the lovable losers which was what the mets were called in those early years and for all of us to be part of that team and for those guys especially to having gone through some really tough times and then win it all was just spectacular and, in the, the years I came up with the Reds, I had great teammates over there. Like I said, it was the prelude to the Big Red Machine when Pete Rose was there and Johnny Bench and, and a lot of the guys that went on to be part of that the, that special team in the mid-'70s was very special for me, too. So I, I was very lucky to have great teammates. And, and as you know, Nelson, these are friendships that you develop and, and they last their whole lifetime. And there's always going to be some somebody you you probably didn't have a, a you didn't like or whatever. But for the most part, these guys are, are lifelong friends. And for me, to and, and when you share a you know successes like we did in '69, that lasts forever. But you also remember the bad times too, and you you share those moments and those struggling times. Like and unless you're going through some tough times now, and you'll remember these these days because you'll you'll find out the, who was pulling for you guys to win and who were pulling for guys to. To get out of the slumps and stuff like that, and you can really get uh, knowledge of uh, of your teammates at that time. But I was very lucky to have great teammates and play in an era that had fabulous players in the big leagues. And I always think that you know I'm a little jaded, but I always think that 60s and the early 70s is the greatest period of baseball in the history of the game with so many wonderful players and great players that made it to the Hall of Fame. So I was very lucky to be part of that.
1: Oh, absolutely. And I think that's uh, something that speaks volumes, the way you talk about knowing some what someone is made of, even though like uh, Francisco Lindor, he hasn't put up the numbers that he wanted to. But you talk about someone who is really behind every single one of his teammates trying to will his team to win, even when he can't be out there playing. That is a very important thing to have for a team and to build that kind of chemistry and the ups and downs. As you know, being the lovable losers you guys turned it around very quickly, and all of a sudden, figured out a way to be not just a formidable opponent, but a feared opponent in the National League East, and were able to take it all the way to a world championship. Do you think this team has that same kind of makeup? Well, I don't know that much about it. I follow it a little bit.
2: I don't watch every game. Uh, you know, it's, it's just a different game for me. It's much slower now uh, than I, when I played, so it's very difficult. But I do check box scores, and I check certain things like uh, the batting averages, strikeouts, walks, how many pitchers in the game, time of game. So I do follow it but uh, without knowing all the personalities on the team I, I would hope that guys would pull for each other I think that's really important and, and I think a, success, a successful team has that, that ingredient where guys uh, you know they'll they'll want to move the runner over they'll want to do whatever it can to, to help uh, help win a ball game and I think that really is the true thing about having a, a teammate that wants you to help your team win and I think you know I, I think that I just don't know about today's player I just think that there's such a premium, like I said, on home runs and RBIs and, and things of that nature that I think that we depress the fans to put pressure on a lot of players to be able to just go up there and swing for the fences. And I'm just not sure that's the, the right way the game should be played.
0: Yeah, and it's, and it's a different game in terms of guys playing for themselves, art and their brand and, you know, trying to make a name for themselves in for, social media and everything's changed. In terms of that, figure, you know, you were you were around only five years after that '69 World Series. It, I took another 22 years uh, to get be born in in '91. So uh, you got to see '86. You were 12 years old. Uh, unfortunately, I've missed them all, hard. I have not seen a Mets World Series. That's why I'm craving for one this year or soon in this new Steve Cohen ownership. Who was that guy on that team that carried you guys? Who was the heart and soul, the the locker room clubhouse leader? Who was that outspoken player on the '69 team?
2: Well, we had guys that uh, that really different different types of guys. Uh Don Quendenham, when he joined the team in June of that year, uh, was really one of these locker room he became a lawyer um, after baseball, but he was a he was really and Nelson knew what I mean here, he was a clubhouse lawyer. He was he knew he knew how to get guys going. And, and on the other side of the coin we had a guy like Ed Charles who was who was sort low key and would put his arm around you after a bad game and and we had gone through so many difficult things for him to to get to the big leagues uh, and that he understood the trials and tribulations. And we had, we had fun guys like Jerry Kuzman and, and Tug McGraw and, you know, and some serious guys, but we had this conglomerate of, of different, different guys who were just, uh, you know, covered for everybody else. And, 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 and I think when you look back on that team, uh, it's interesting. Uh, you talk about Tom Saver and you talk about Jerry Kuzman and you talk about, Leon Jones and Tommy Agee and all the, the name guys. But you also know that Al Weiss was a major contributor to us, our success, and, and Kenny Boswell and Wayne Garrett and the J.C. Martin and Duffy Dyer. So everybody knows those names. And I think at some point, everybody contributed to the success of the team. And that's really what the legacy, I think, when people talk about that team 52 years later now, they know all the names. And I think that's really special.
0: Yeah. And that team is special for me, Art. You know, I, I met you and a bunch of the Mets at all the sports card memorabilia shows you guys used to do. And uh, I think 20 or 21 of the players on that 69 team, I would go out to you sign a big picture. And I was fascinated by that team. Because it wasn't this all star, you know, like the Nets now super team. It was a it was a ragtag bunch with a couple of incredible stars that came together and won the first World Series for the Mets, and they went on a run, and it's pretty fascinating. And it was a year for New York that we'll never forget. And you you know, I was at the 50th anniversary Knicks luncheon a couple weeks ago at Clyde Wine and Dine, and talking to some of those guys like dick barnett and bill hoskett did you guys all hang out like did the mets and knicks and jets get together did you guys like when you start winning a championship in the same year did you become friendly and hang out outside of you know at, at the bar at the club uh, with these other teams
2: well not so much the bars i want you to know that i want to put that <laughs> on the record but uh but i was friends with all those guys you know we shared the stadium with the jets so we we got to see them occasionally and I became friends with all those guys with, the, with Joe Namath and Emerson Boozer and Matt Snell and a lot of the great John Schmidt at center and a lot of those players we'd be friends over the years and Clyde is a dear friend of mine and, and Dick Barnett and DeBuscher you know I played baseball against Dave DeBuscher he was a pitcher in the White Sox organization. I played minor league baseball against him. And, and you know, he was about six six, And, you know, he, he didn't throw that hard. But when he was throwing, uh, you, you know, one step to home plate and, and he was like right on top of you. But he picked the right profession because he was a great basketball player. But but all three of us, uh, uh, those teams won for the first time, which was really most people think the Knicks had won before. But they hadn't. We only all won for the first time. And so. It was such a special year for all of us, but yes, we were all friends, and I still, you know, reminisce with you guys when I see him, and Clyde Frazier was a dear friend of mine, a great basketball player, and uh, I'm so pr- proud of a the relationships I had with those guys, and, and really kind of brought us all together because we did the New York again was such a tough situation, and all of these teams, those three teams, really made a special time for, for fans and all the sports.
0: If you were with Broadway Joe Art, I know the the drinks were out, the drinks were flowing at the bar. It was a great time. I I love those teams, and you know that was a, a hell of a year. Mets, Jets, Knicks. That's why we are like people like me are Mets, Jets, Knicks fans because of those teams. Well, I'll really-
2: tell you. I'll tell you a funny story. When I interviewed Joe uh, Namath, uh, about oh, when I first started doing the podcast it was over a year ago, and I, Joe was one of my first guests. And you know, what do you ask a guy like Joe Namath who's been interviewed a thousand times? So, so we just started chatting a little bit. Neither one of us knew how to do Zoom at the time, so we kind of finagled our way through that. But I started to talk to him, and we remembered this a little bit, and I realized that. I had read something somewhere where he was a pretty good baseball player and he told me this story where uh, he was growing up in Pennsylvania and he loved the game of baseball more than football. And one day at the, at the, at the dinner table, he told his, his mom and his brother that, I think I want to play baseball because he had four or five scouts. And at that time, he could sign with whatever team. There was no there was no draft. And he said, there are four or five scouts that are interested in me signing baseball. And he was a terrific high school baseball player. To make a long story short, he said, he told his, his mom and his brother, I'm going to I think I want to play baseball. And they both kind of slammed their fists down on the table and said, there's no way you're going to be the first person in the family that's going to get a college education. And he ended up going to Alabama and, of course, was an all-American football player there. But he had a chance to play baseball, which I thought was interesting. And I never I never knew that. I knew he was a great athlete, but never knew that he had a chance to play minor league baseball, professional baseball. So I try to get these little things out of people that, uh, that, uh, that I interview because, you know, what are you going to interview? What are you going to ask these guys there? They've been asked so many times think different things. So um, I just thought it was interesting about Joe. But, but friends with all those guys, and um, unfortunately all the teams have lost some uh, real contributors to, to the success of the team. But there's still a nucleus of guys around, and I'm thankful for those friendships. Yeah,
0: I talked to Joe on our Jets podcast last year. I did not get that out of him. I mean, you could have talked to him. He's in every commercial during Price is Right. You can't miss Joe name it. He gets <laughs> all the endorsements. Uh, Broadway Joe, got to love him in a style like Well, November. now he's
2: doing the Medicare stuff, so that's that's great. So, yeah. so you know, he's, he's, uh, <laughs> and he's still he's still the face of the NFL, which I think is great. So, yeah, one of the faces mm-hmm. of the NFL. Yeah.
0: He brought my terrible jets, our only Super Bowl title. So thank you to Joe Namath. You can listen to Joe Namath and soon Ray Romano and Clyde Frazier on the Art Shamsky podcast, wherever you get podcasts, you can get Art on Cameo. You can find him on Twitter at Art Shamsky. It's Mets legend, 1969 World Series champion, New York and national Jewish sports hall of famer, Art Shamsky. Art, so glad to uh, have you on amazing, but true. Thank you so much.
2: Oh, thanks guys. All the best to you. Thanks again for having me on.
0: That says sayonara to episode 77, the David Peterson edition of Amazing But True, our Mets podcast from the New York Post.
1: Thanks to you, Jake and Brian Mungia for producing the show. Give us a five-star rating and write in a nice review on Apple Podcasts. You can also find us on Spotify, wherever else you get your podcasts.
0: For Nelson Figueroa, I'm Jake Brown. We'll be back on Monday following the Mets series with the Dodgers and Queens. City will be rocking. I'll see you there. Thanks for listening, and let's go Mets.